I do feel like the elite Democrats, people on MSNBC or on Twitter, have conflated DeSantis and Trump. And that's why Reid's view, I think, could fairly be called controversial in elite circles. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, March 24th. Today, Teddy Schleifer joins me to talk about an important debate going on in Democratic donor circles, whether to spend money in the 2024 Republican primary to lift up Ron DeSantis and finally derail Donald Trump. As Teddy explains, Reid Hoffman, the billionaire founder of LinkedIn, is looking at doing just that. But is this strategy just too risky when it's very possible that DeSantis could beat Joe Biden next November? Teddy has the latest. And later, Tina Wynn and Ben Landy discussed the political fallout from Trump's legal headache over the Stormy Daniels case. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm joined today by Teddy Schleifer, who, despite now living in Washington and not the Bay Area, is our guy on the rich person beat. And there's a very rich person who's thinking about doing something unusual in 2024, and that is Reid Hoffman, the billionaire founder of LinkedIn. Add us both on LinkedIn if you want. Very popular on LinkedIn. (laughs) But speaking of what Reid Hoffman is doing, tell us a little bit about what you've been hearing in the last few days about him trying to play in the Republican primary to beat Trump and maybe lift DeSantis, even though a lot of people think DeSantis could beat Joe Biden. And Reid Hoffman is a Democrat. So that's kind of a weird, weird maneuver, right? Definitely. So Reid is one of the party's biggest donors, I would say top 10, certainly by influence, like definitely top five, like a lot of people look to him for advice. He, I would say, spent more time on defeating Trump than I would say than any other Silicon Valley leader. There was an anecdote I reported at my old gig at Rico, which I thought was sort of telling that Reid was headlining like a tech for Biden call in like May or June 2020. And, you know, he said something to the effect of, you know, he will step out of board meetings to deal with politics. Like his political interests, I think, trumped his day job, uh, at least during the 2020 election. So this is a major figure in Democratic Party. This is not just some rich guy. Reid and his kind of aide-de-camp, this guy named Dimitri Melhorn, have been telling people over the last couple of months about an intriguing move that we've reported here at Puck, which is that, as you said, they are they are ready to play in the Republican primary in, in, in a big way. You know, they haven't spent a serious amount of money yet on this, but they are talking about and are currently studying state Republican Party nomination rules. Like, can Democrats vote in Republican primaries? How do you make sure that 
things aren't so slanted toward Trump, understanding conservative media and the ecosystem there, things that are well far afield from the things they've done in the past. The logic is, to put it simply, Democrats have two chances to beat Trump. One is in the Republican primary, and one is in the general election. And Democrats would be foolish not to take both chance to do so. And that's the argument. And we can go into kind of the backlash to it, which has been public and private since I reported the story on Tuesday. But that is the idea. And it, it matters because what Reid does, other people in Silicon Valley are going to look to. And I think this could be the beginning of an interesting trend in the 2024 Republican nomination. It's, it's interesting. I was interested in your piece in part because my question to the never-Trump Republican community, the Bill Kristol, Tim Miller, Bulwark types out there who used to be Republican and hate Trump now, at what point do you get over your like distaste of Ron DeSantis and use the primary as the first effort to get rid of Donald Trump, the existential threat to democracy in their mind? I think that question elicits some like eye-rolling and groans, but there's also some pragmatism in it. It's the right move for those never Trump Republicans. It's interesting to think about it in the Democratic context because hypothetical matchups in a general election 2024 this far out are not to be relied upon. But some of them showed DeSantis beating Biden and some of them showed Trump losing to Biden. And it's just it's just an interesting maneuver. But it also gets to another question. I think a lot of people out there, and you sort of mentioned this about Reed and Dimitri in your piece, while they don't like Ron DeSantis and think some of his political policies and his anti-woke rhetoric, et cetera, are gross. They also don't view him as an existential threat to democracy in the same way that they do Donald Trump. And I kind of think that's a pretty normy view outside of the boundaries of MSNBC and Twitter liberals. Sure. I mean, look, I mean, this is something that elite Democrats disagree on. Whether or not normie Democrats think that, like, maybe. I do feel like the green room said the elite Democrats, um, the people on MSNBC or on Twitter, have conflated DeSantis and Trump. And, th and that's why Reid's view, I think, could fairly be called controversial at this point in, like, elite circles, regardless of whether or not he's right or not. And and frankly, like, it's hard to, hard to say, like, is DeSantis an anti-democratic threat you know, we kind of need to see what President DeSantis is doing in 2026 for us to really answer that question. But the, the argument that DeSantis is not this threat, right, is, you know, this was a guy who was elected to Congress, has been governor of a state for four years. You know, he kind of came up in the traditional political system. You know, yeah, sure, he was a member of the Freedom Caucus and is like a hard right Republican. But, you know, is, is he more like Ted Cruz in 2016 or or you know, other sort of traditional rock red conservatives? Or is he like Trump? And, you know, the arguments there are that, you know, DeSantis has gone along with lots of Trump's, you know, rhetoric about the 2020 election. Um, you know, DeSantis has sort of adopted this isolationist posture on foreign policy, especially recently, that DeSantis is, you know, uh, that is an it is impossible to be kind of a normie Republican in, in Trump's Republican Party. And that's why I think Reid's position is, you know, in addition to it being, you know, good gossip and good campaign fodder, it does speak to like an interesting intellectual question about the right and how the left perceives the right. Lots of mainstream Democrats or party elites sort of treat Trump as the symptom, right? That the Republican Party is broken. That's what led to Trump. There is no way the Republican Party is ever going to go back to the party uh, of John Kasich or Mitt Romney. 
And that is very much in vogue in elite democratic circles, including with donors. But Reed and Dimitri, and you know, I should say that like sometimes it's hard to tell whether or not Reed agrees with all of these things or some of these things, but certainly his his kind of emissary says this and believes this, that ultimately Trump is the disease itself. That if you get rid of Trump, and you know, whether through impeachment or whatever, if Trump is no longer in the picture tomorrow, the Republican Party will be not cured, but like in a much better position. And, you know, DeSantis might be an asshole and he might be, you know, uh, a Nixon-like kind of figure, but the Republic can survive a non-Trump Republican. The question I think that lots of, you know, Tim Miller and Bulwark people need to figure out is like, is it worth backing one of the only Republicans who seems like they have a chance at beating Trump? Because like the idea that, you know, Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or a more like traditional anti-Trump Republican is really going to win seems very unlikely at this point, which is, I think, you know, DeSantis has this interesting coalition among party elites, right? It's a combination of people who actually like DeSantis and people who are fine with DeSantis, but credibly recognize that he is the only real chance they have to, to beat Trump. And frankly, when I say that's, you know, the party consensus, like it's it in fact includes some Democrats who think that um, as evidenced by Reid. So I would not be surprised if if not only do anti-Trump Republicans have to figure out whether or not they want to invest in DeSantis, I think anti-Trump Democrats do as well. So, Teddy, what exactly would Reid and Dimitri do tactically? I mean, I remember back in 2008, Rush Limbaugh, you know, told Republican voters to vote in the Democratic primary in Pennsylvania, I think, to sow chaos between Hillary and Obama. And there was some evidence that there were a lot of crossover voters there because the Republican primary was already over. But what would they do? Would they, like, launch TV ads? We saw, by the way, we saw this in 2022. The DGA, Democratic Governors Association, went in in Illinois, in Pennsylvania, and they played in the Republican primary. They ran television ads to help elect Yep. The Trumpy anti-democracy candidates in those primaries. Which was also controversial at the time. Totally right? controversial at the time. Yep. Everyone thought it was going to backfire. What if we help elect these people who are going to bring about the demise of democracy? But, you know, winners get to write history and they look smart and savvy in hindsight uh, because yeah. they're the candidates they picked in that primary won and then ended up losing to the Democrat in the general election. So what would, what sure. would these guys I mean, do in the presidential yeah, so it is not new, for instance, to say for a Democratic voter to vote in a Republican primary if you know they believe a primary is more competitive. But it, it is new, I think, at the donor level to see folks do this. Like, you know, what Democrats did in 2022 was controversial in part because it was new. I'm thinking back to even 2016, the last time there was an open Republican primary. I don't really remember major Democratic donors like investing in, you know, our friend Tim Miller's super PAC. Like, you know, it, it was Republican donors were running investing in Republican super PACs. Democratic donors were investing in Democratic super PACs. Obviously, there's not going to be a Democratic primary this time, so people might just have more time on their hands to play games. So what Democratic donors like Reid Hoffman will do, it's TBD, I mean, it's still a year out, but I don't think they will do things to explicitly back DeSantis. Like, I don't want to overstate the idea that, you know, DeSantis's super PAC is going to be funded by Reid Hoffman's money or that, you know, Reid's going to be offering you know, the Florida governor, like tactical advice. I think they're looking into things like ways to sow anti-Trump momentum in early states. 
which you could argue that I'm splitting hairs here when I say like, well, they're not going to explicitly back DeSantis. They're just going to like do anti-Trump stuff because like as of right now, those are far and away, you know, the two leaders in this race. So if they're undertaking anti-Trump activities in Iowa, like that's going to boost DeSantis. That it's not just it's got the votes have got to go somewhere. So I, I think they'll be careful about uh, DeSantis, you know, doing things that are explicitly pro-DeSantis. But I think that that's the impact lots of their activity wound up having. But ultimately, like, you know, where this is going to end up is they have to live with the fact that even though they are trying to beat Trump, they could end up in a scenario where, you know, if what they do works, they're living in President DeSantis's America. I'm sure even if they elect DeSantis, Reid will spend a ton of money to elect Biden in the general. I'm not saying that it's like, you know, if they beat Trump in the primary, problem solved and they're going to go back to paradise. I think this is a team that's going to spend you know, 50 to 100 million bucks in the 2024 election, no matter what. But you have to be comfortable with the fact that you could indirectly end up electing DeSantis. And, you know, frankly, privately, I, I, you know, this is not not going to surprise folks who read Puck. And, you know, we, we are very wired into this world. Like, I've gotten a lot of texts and emails and calls over the last 48 or 72 hours from people being like, I cannot believe that Reed is thinking about doing this. This is very controversial. And I think there is a logic to it. It's sort of simplistic, you could argue, but I, I do understand the argument. And I do not imagine this will be the last we hear about it because there's going to be a lot of like recriminations, I'll put it that way, in 2028-7, if, you know, DeSantis is passing, you know, laws that roll back efforts to combat climate change right. or do lots, you know, step on other sacred cows of the left. There'll be people who say like, was Reed Hoffman responsible for this? Not that it's a fair thing to say, uh, necessarily, but there will be uh, a lot of blame game if they're successful, which is not ordinarily what happens. Typically, when you win, you feel good. Here, you might be of a, have a more of a mixed blessing. These things can backfire. I mean, Hillary Clinton and the Democrats wanted Trump to win that primary back in 2016, that's for sure. Um, sure. Teddy, thanks so much, man. This is a fascinating conversation. I mean, it's and it's Reed is not going to be the first person to debate whether to pump money into this primary to derail Trump. There's it's it's going to be talked about in many corners yep. of donor circles. And I uh, can't wait to watch how it plays out. Thanks, man. You bet. When we come back, Tina Wynn is here to talk about Donald and Stormy. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Tina Wynn. Tina, we're several days past when Donald Trump said he was going to be arrested in New York in this Stormy Daniels case. That obviously has not happened, which is not to say that Trump will not be indicted 
possibly next week. But even the fact that this might happen has totally rattled the Republican primary landscape, like, like a nuclear bomb went off. You've been reporting on this. What is sort of the overall consensus among GOP insiders as far as what they expect to happen to this race if Trump is actually hauled into court? Across the board, I have talked to DeSantis fans. I have talked to Trump stands. I have talked to people who don't like either of these men. And the consensus is Trump would probably win the Republican primary. Like, he becomes the ultimate MAGA martyr, MAGA Jesus. Uh, As one of my sources put it, like, his arrest would prove to the entire base that everything Trump has said about the deep state coming after him, everything that he said about the administrative left, the progressives, the mainstream media, the law enforcement, all of the things that he's said are coming after him, have come after him and they've arrested him. The populist movement will look at this and be like, oh my God, Trump was right. We are backing our man all the way. And if like the rest of the Republican Party does not come on board with them, the MAGA movement will turn on them. And frankly, probably some Joe Rogan type Republicans. Yeah, he's definitely been fundraising off of this. It sucked a lot of oxygen out of out of the, the media environment. I mean, there's so much focus on this case. At the same time, it was interesting to me that DeSantis chose this very moment to get a little feistier with Trump, possibly for the first time, in an interview that he did with Piers Morgan that, that aired on... Uh, Fox Nation, where he got lobbed some softball questions about Trump's attacks on him. He kind of bunted the responses. I mean, Piers was hyping up this interview as DeSantis having these, quote, blistering attacks, but he didn't really say much beyond indicating in a sort of roundabout way that, yeah, Trump has some baggage. You know, the, the, the founding fathers probably never would have paid off a porn star. Do you have any early sense of how that interview is playing with Republicans and whether it is reclaiming any media attention or any excitement among Republicans from this giant week that Trump has had? Um, first of all, Alexander Hamilton did pay off a lady he had sex with. Just let's fact check this for a second. Thank you for the correction. No problem. <laughs> Thank you. Um, You're saying that the Trump is operating within a um, within an esteemed historical tradition. Yes, something like that. At the same time, Alexander Hamilton was a proponent of a uh, strong federal, st- whatever. Um, so uh, before we go off on the tangent, there are two factions within the Republican Party that look at what DeSantis is doing. One of them is the more populist national conservative faction, which is a little scared that DeSantis is being too timid going up against a guy who is, as one of my sources put it, a pit bull. And there is a faction that's like, no, DeSantis is playing for a, gen- for a general election audience. He is playing for Republicans who are sick and tired of Trump's drama, who kind of like a little bit of spicy populism here and there, but would prefer it come from someone who is not Trump. And it's a question of style. So like, who is going to win a Republican electorate? Do voters want the MAGA guy who's competent or do voters want the fighting MAGA guy who sometimes doesn't like actually implement a MAGA policy, depending on who's talking to him at the moment. But he makes liberals mad. He makes journalists mad. He kind of takes it to the class and the elites that his base have hated for so long. 
that's sort of the big question right there. And Trump knows this very well. His uh, last statement that came out attacking DeSantis called him notably a Paul Ryan stooge. And Paul Ryan, for people who don't remember 20 lifetimes ago, was the Speaker of the House. And even though he came from a dweeby libertarian think tank world, was considered a moderating, non-explosive Washington presence, which therefore made him establishment. And tying DeSantis to Paul Ryan is definitely a strategy that Trump's going to implement here to keep the base on his side. Yeah, one thing that that sort of surprised me about all of this until I was reading your reporting this week, because I, I had not been closely tracking all of the poll numbers, but actually DeSantis's support has been dropping month after month after month, which at first seems sort of counterintuitive when, when you consider how much media exposure he's gotten, the fundraising that has poured in, the, the number of early political endorsements that are going his way. But the polling is moving totally in the other direction with Trump consolidating the field. And obviously, it is so, so early in this race. DeSantis has not even formally announced that he's running yet. But I imagine there must be a lot of internal concern and debates within DeSantis' world about these numbers that they're seeing. In Tallahassee, they've definitely got to be looking at this and saying, things are not swinging our way. What's going wrong? And, and, and how do you turn it around? So the only people who will know exactly what Ron DeSantis is going to do are Ron and his wife, Casey. They're basically a power duo that exists within their own like headspace. The people around them, though, my... I don't know, just reading the tea leaves, it seems like there are two strategies going on here. One is like dabbling in screaming MAGA rhetoric and MAGA policies like don't say gay, teaching African-American history, bringing in people from the Claremont Institute to um, establish their own college in Florida that teaches, quote unquote, Western civilization values. Uh, On the other hand, he is taking money from rich people. That is just like, on its face, not MAGA. He is taking money from wealthy donors, not all of whom are MAGA. And a lot of them are quasi-libertarian, tied to technology, a little sketch. Also, the fact that DeSantis hasn't gone after Trump yet and issued a strong defense, it's telling to a MAGA base that does appreciate a good fight. And another thing that um, one of my sources told me, I'll describe the source as, one of the best MAGA interpreters that I've ever known in my life. And he was surprised that DeSantis whiffed on the Stormy Daniels question. What he could have done in this person's view was stand up on the principle of we don't like the weaponization and politicization of law enforcement to go after political rivals we dislike. We are seeing this in action right now against a former sitting president of the U.S., Ron DeSantis could have gone in there and be like, I'm standing up for principle. I will try to do what I can to ensure justice is carried out. I will be involved in this. That would have made him look magnanimous. That would have made Trump look beholden to him. Instead, he just goes, you know, this isn't my problem. I don't know what it's like to pay off porn stars. That's not my issue. And it comes across in the MAGA base as unprincipled and petty. You will be principled until it has something to do with your political rival. That could be really damaging towards DeSantis. You're saying as governor of Florida, he he could have stood up and said, I'll do everything in my power to stop Trump from being extradited to New York. Whether or not he actually has that ability sort of at at a constitutional level, he could have at least put on the air of being more outraged and and claim that he's going to do something to 
to fight for those principles. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, this may all end up being a moot point because um, as, as our colleague Eric Gardner was just pointing out to me the other day, Trump's already expected to be in New York for a separate trial in, in the Eugene Carroll defamation case in a couple of weeks. So he's going to be in New York anyway. So, you know, Alvin Bragg could indict him or arrest him then if he wanted to. But but to your point, this is a, a feels like a moment that DeSantis may be whiffed where he could have stood up and gained some of the support of that Trump base that he so desperately needs if he wants to get through a primary. Tina, at the same time, a last question for you. I mean, is there any fear or hope that putting Trump on trial will actually backfire for him in the long run? I mean, obviously we're seeing this rally effect at first. Republicans are sort of surging to his defense. But are people going to tire of this over a year or so? If Trump is actually indicted, if he's actually put on trial in a case that could go on for months and months and months, at some level, I find it hard to imagine that this is going to capture and hold the attention of voters and journalists over that time over a very in-the-weeds campaign finance case that dates back to a scandal that at this point is almost seven years old. I mean, look, we're talking about two different elections here with two completely different electorates. One, you've got the Republican primary voters who in recent years we've seen have gone more populist. And then there's the general election voter base, which is, you know, everybody, includes moderates, Democrats, Republicans who are just generally super tired of Trump and will just not vote for him in any case. And Trump is the type of person who will play to win in the short term and not necessarily think about the long term. Like, that's what happened in the midterms. Remember when he was like, I want to be a kingmaker. I want to put my thumb on the scale of who wins these Republican primaries. And a lot of them ended up losing pretty badly because of, among other things, their affiliation with Trump and his ideas. So there will always be Republicans who are hoping to sweep past their primaries and be like, we support Trump, la da 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 You know what? Actually, he's probably going to lose the general election. Let's just keep saying that we support Trump. Thumbs up, everybody. And honestly, that part's not really hard to do. Also, there's just nothing stopping Trump from running for president. Even if he's indicted, there have been historical precedents of people running for federal office in the presidency while in prison and no one was like, you can't do that. That was their constitutional right. So he is 100% going to keep running. I don't know what a Trump under indictment campaign would look like, but I imagine it's going to be based on a lot of earned media, posting on true social, whatever rallies you can pull off, but a lot of streaming for sure. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. That, that, that's a great distinction between the dynamics in a primary in a general. And I, I think you're right. You know, Trump would win a primary even from a jail cell if it came to that. But it's really only going to make him more toxic and provide him with more baggage going to the general. Tina, thanks as always for coming by and explaining it to us. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 